1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fightback, more of what you want to hear from the week that was. The vast majority of parents are relieved and happy that their kids will be returning to school in the fall. There will be some safety measures in place. Staff and students must conduct a self-screen daily before attending classes. Students in grades 1 through 12 will have to be masked indoors, with the exception of physical education classes and while eating. And there are major concerns about some of the extracurricular activities which will be starting up again, like music with wind instruments and gym. For reaction to the measures. Libby spoke with Sam Hammond, president of the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, and wondered why vaccines are not mandated for teachers and students 12 and up who are eligible.
2: I'm glad you didn't refer to it as a plan because we think what was released yesterday is continues to be incomplete and inadequate. You know, it's a good thing, uh, let me say up front, that students from grades 1 to 12 and staff will have to wear a mask But they forgot about kindergarten students, Uh, and uh, it's a good thing uh, this additional funding for ventilation. Uh, But you know the minister keeps forgetting uh, that many schools actually started yesterday. uh, Those who are on a balanced learning uh, uh, calendar. Um, But in in, in general, uh, there is very little uh, that is new in this plan compared to what uh, the minister announced numerous times over the past year. Uh, including uh, before he closed schools in April, May, and June.
3: There are nine compulsory vaccines, whether you're a student or a teacher. What do you make of this hesitancy to mandate a COVID vaccine for those who are eligible?
2: Yeah, it's a very good point. Uh, You know, we have not taken a position on whether vaccination should be mandatory. It would make absolute sense that the government should be uh, isn't really doing everything to ensure that everyone that can be vaccinated it is and, and and tracking that, but ultimately that's a decision that has to be made by this government in consultation with the chief medical officer of health. And as I said again today, they they're not making that and that decision uh, and making it mandatory.
3: So, what is the bottom line on all of this for you and your members?
2: Uh, Well, I mean, as our members have done, I did all last year, right back to uh, March 2020, uh, they will show up for work and do what they uh, do as professionals and try to to provide the best learning experience under very difficult circumstances yet again uh, for students across this uh, province.
3: I would like to bring in Ryan Imgrund and also David Kravitz. So let us begin with David, and uh, you've got your finger on the pulse of grandparents. Are a lot of people, you know, wondering how this will affect, you know, the families that they just started seeing again recently?
4: I think as a general rule, everybody's going to have to make a decision as to what their own vulnerability is. But generally speaking, Unvaccinated people over the age of 60, according to the Ontario government website, are 15 times more likely to be infected than uh, people who have had uh, the vaccine. But the breakthrough rate of infection in Ontario for people who have been vaccinated is less than 1% so far. So you could make the case. There's nothing to worry about. I'm not as worried about it being lethal as about whether you can get, you know, the infection
5: from the kids.
3: In terms of the breakthrough rate, what do you have to say about that?
5: So what we're seeing, um, at least here in Ontario, I've actually analyzed data going back to December 2020 up until July the 10th. Um, And what it shows, and I mean, and no surprise for this, is that um, the older you are, the more beneficial the vaccine is for you in terms of lowering your risk profile. If you're an 80-year-old and you get the actual vaccination, you have the same rate of hospitalization as an unvaccinated 30 to 39-year-old. It literally removes 50 years from your risk profile when you're an older individual and you get vaccinated. It's a very, very positive thing when the older population gets vaccinated. It doesn't mean that we don't have breakthrough um, cases happen. They are going to happen, and they'll be more likely to happen the more transmission that we have. And that's my worry about this plan, is I don't think it's sufficient enough to stop cases from going from the stu- schools and then going back into people's homes.
1: Sam Hammond, president of the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. This is Zuma Radio's Best to Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. With New York becoming the first American city to mandate proof of vaccination to gain entry to indoor dining, shows and gyms, should Toronto do the same? Libby discussed with city councillors Brad Bradford and Stephen Holliday.
6: If you don't think we've already got a two-tiered system now, uh, think again. Um, I'm, I'm obviously fully vaccinated and I'm biologically different than other people, and so my risks are different in a material way. Nobody can argue that fact. And so far, we've got public confidence in these measures. And I think uh, we have to keep an eye on what the public feels because public health measures need to match and be proportionate to the level of risk. So we'll see what these variants do over time. But right now, I think it's very premature to consider um, implementing vaccine passports. But I think The policy creators need to keep an eye on this in case the situation changes. And I'm not so focused on the the concept of an actual passport, uh, more just on this idea, the policy that uh, vaccinated people will be allowed to go to certain things or be treated differently. And we already see some evidence of that when you talk to people like cruise ship lines, where you need to have extra insurance now if you're not uh, vaccinated and college dorm rooms where they've uh, re- required their students to be vaccinated.
3: Uh, yeah. And if you're a private business, you can do this. Uh, Councillor Bradford, can does the city even have the power to do it? Well,
7: that's the challenge is, uh, you know, New York city obviously uh, introduced this yesterday and that's coming forward. Uh, that's a very different jurisdiction and a different sit, uh, state in a different context. So, so our understanding is that that's not something within our purview. Uh, we have looked to the province to take the lead on that. That would be in their jurisdiction. And, you know, it's interesting, uh, Councillor Holland and I, I we, we talk a lot, and we, we haven't had a chance to discuss this yet. Um, the points are well taken, but I think as we look down the road here uh, to a potential fourth wave, um, and, and experts are, are saying that that might be on the horizon, uh, it, it seems like the prudent thing to do uh, when you consider the alternative is you know lockdown measures and restrictions and all the things that we've been through before. that's been very challenging for our, for our mental health, for our physical health, and it's been absolutely devastating for our business community and, and the economy. So you know when you put it in that context, if this is the next step of security that we can take collectively as a society to get out there and, and get those double doses. And, and you know frankly, thanks to all the listeners out, out there who have already done that, uh, we have, we've had great results here in Toronto. Um, But when we talk about community spread and we consider the risks, the risks of shutting down workplaces, uh, the risk of community spread in schools, um, the the risk to the economy, to my mind, we need to make sure that that folks are getting the vaccines, whether you call it a vaccine passport or just an email, as I received, as we've all received, that says, you have had two doses. That's really what we're talking about here.
3: I've got to say this, and you are both politicians and I am frankly surprised at the vehemence of the kind of reactions that I'm hearing, you know, everywhere I go from vaccinated people about the inability to know if your caregiver or, uh, whoever is vaccinated and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, and people who want to know if the person serving them is vaccinated. And I think that, um, You know, the epidemiologists say that there will have to be a distinction between vaccinated and not vaccinated. And I think the blowback will be on politicians if they refuse.
6: Libby, you've hit uh, a key point. Um, You know, we're we're talking about passports, but we still haven't even sorted out really fundamental employer-employee related issues. There is still that discussion about whether or not an employer can compel their employees or modify work or require vaccines for certain jobs. But back that up one step, employers can't even demand the information from their employees because of the information protections that we have in Ontario with respect to private health information. I think that is a huge public policy question that needs to get answered. It's kind of like the top of the pyramid. You get that question answered, and then all of the other policies can begin to fall
1: in place. Toronto City Councillors Brad Bradford and Stephen Holliday. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown, and this is Zuma Radio's best of fight back. Coming up after the break, the estimated high cost of fixing long term care in Canada. You're
0: listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zuma Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Bob Komsic on Zuma Radio.
1: Welcome back. The Parliamentary Budget Officer has come up with a number on what it would take to improve Canada's long-term care system in response to the disaster that took the lives of thousands of elders in that sector during the pandemic. The number is $13.7 billion in new annual spending, on top of current spending in approximately the same amount. It includes clearing wait lists for beds in long-term care homes, adding more hours of care per bed, and increasing wages paid to workers. Those are all things the Ford government has promised. According to the Provincial Financial Accountability Office, the Ministry of Long-Term Care will spend $6.9 billion in the 2021-22 fiscal year, an increase of half a billion. Is that enough to do our share of fixing things? Libby put that to parliamentary budget watchdog Yves Giroux.
4: So we looked at public sources of information that was that were readily available. We also looked at um, information that is not in the public domain, but that some provinces and territories had, and we we looked at that. We also looked at a report that the Ontario Federal or Fiscal Accountability Office did a couple of months ago, and uh, looking at that in conjunction with the text of the motion, which seeks to increase the number of long-term care beds Increasing the wages, especially for those uh, the workers in privately owned and run facilities, and increasing the number of hours of care to get to an average of four hours per day of care, we arrived at that number. So, based on the number of patients that are on waiting lists, um, the average wage at private versus public facilities and the number of hours of care on average that's provided to residents, we arrive at that estimate of $13.7 billion each year and rising by 4.1% a year due to rising demand and costs as the population gets older.
3: Uh, now that includes $5.2 billion for home care, right?
4: Indeed, because the text of the motion... Also calls to uh, increase the funding of home term care, um, of home care, sorry, so that it represents 35 percent of public spending on long term care. So the incentive here is to allow people who want to stay at home but still need care to get that, the care they need, but in a home setting as opposed to uh, an institutional setting. Well, recognizing that not everybody who wants to stay home is well enough or fit enough to receive these services at home.
3: Did you factor in, I mean, uh, what we're seeing in polling after the pandemic? There are a lot more people who say, who say, I'm going to stay out of long-term care no matter what.
4: Uh, no, we didn't factor in that because what we found in doing the cost estimate is that it's very often driven, the, the decision to move into long-term care, it's not driven as much by the desire of the individuals, but their need. They get to a point where even if they want to stay home, it becomes very difficult for them to to stay home. And the fact that on average, they already receive um, at least three hours of care per day, direct care, and the motion would seek to increase that to four hours. It speaks to the fact that these are persons who are in in clear need of, of care so even though the current trend might be to stay as as far away as possible from long-term care long-term care homes it might not always be possible to avoid that even for those who would like to avoid as that too for as long as possible
3: you put an increase of 4.1 percent is that for uh, both the the residential part and the home care part
4: Yes. It's uh, based on the inflation that we see in that area, as well as the increase in the number of persons in the target population, so seniors mostly. Uh,
3: Just uh, as as we wrap up, uh, is is that the kind of number that you expected? Is it is it bigger or smaller?
4: Um, It's slightly, well, significantly higher than what I expected for the overall number. Uh, I expected the number to meet the demand to be higher than that. What struck me as particularly expensive is ensuring that all residents receive an average of four hours of care per day and increasing the funding for home care. These are the two components that struck me as much more expensive than I
1: expected. Parliamentary Budget Officer Yves Giroux. If you or a loved one need home care, you have no right to know if the care provider is vaccinated, even if the patient is frail or immunocompromised. You can ask, but they don't have to tell you because of privacy laws. It's a big worry for Allison engel who receives home care for her disabled 10-year-old daughter, Gavi, who is at risk of severe COVID. Allison joined Libby along with Tracy Tremaine Lloyd, a lawyer specializing in health law.
8: The issue for me isn't so much the healthcare providers, in our case, nurses, um, providers' uh, right to privacy to disclose individually their vaccination status, but really a policy problem that uh, the healthcare organizations are not mandating that their um, nurses or PSWs get the vaccine. Um, because what I was told um, initially, we actually this is before it became a political issue. Just right when the vaccines started rolling out in Ontario, um, and of course, um, as you know, healthcare workers were among the first to be eligible before even we were as parents of a vulnerable person, and um, and I enthusiastically and naively. <laughs> Uh, was once uh, one of our nurses said hey I got my email I'm eligible for the vaccine terrific and we were so excited and thrilled to hear that in order to p- protect our daughter Davi, that I asked each one of our nurses we have two two night nurses as well as two school nurses um, that accompany accom- Gabby to school when school is in. And three of our four were thrilled to tell us they were indeed registered or getting their vaccines. And one we could see was hesitant and continue to be hesitant. And it was after that that we got a call from the management level of um, our nursing provider to, to ask us not to tell to um discuss with them the vaccine, that we could unduly put pressure on them, discourage them from getting it, and uh, that, uh, well, my real concern is the vaccination status. I I want to know that I'm being provided with uh, vaccinated nurses, and the nursing organization and the LINS were very clear that, of course, we can refuse service, but this is absolutely an essential service to us, and uh, but they would not replace and they will not
3: guarantee vaccinated nurses. Tracy Tremaine-Lloyd, I mean, what do yeah, you make of this?
9: Uh, thank you, Libby. Uh, the fact is that it, it's a very serious policy issue, as, as uh, Alison has just outlined. And there, this hiding behind its privacy law is just nonsense, okay? Uh, the privacy laws about keeping your personal health care private are just that. That's to you and to me. We can keep our personal health care private, However, and we have a right to do that if we wish, but we don't have a right to work in an essential service uh, for for someone like Alison, for example, and have a job and not be vaccinated against this deadly virus. So she's completely right. First of all, she has an absolute right to ask the caregiver, are you vaccinated, while they don't have a policy. She has an absolute right to expect a response. And if they say, I don't want to answer you, then she knows the answer, right? But the problem is all of these agencies and hospitals and et cetera, all healthcare providers should be mandatorily vaccinated. And I just heard today that now the federal government is announcing that probably all the federal workers in federal positions are going to be mandated to be vaccinated. So what I don't understand is what do people not not get? yes, you can refuse to be vaccinated, be my guest. But no, you can't be a nurse. You can't look after my daughter uh, and get her sick and maybe kill her. You go and get another job. You you know, you don't have a right to that job. You have a right not to be vaccinated. But it's I find it extremely frustrating, as there's obviously my friend Allison. Now, she's not my friend. That's what lawyers call each other. But, I'm your um, friend. Yes, that's right. <laughs> but it's, it's incredibly, incredibly irresponsible. Like, what is it that they don't get? Uh, they should be allowed a job where they can look after Allison's daughter or my daughter or my grandchild and kill them.
1: Allison engel and Tracy Tremaine Lloyd, a lawyer specializing in health law. I'm Bob Comstock, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was, and the Fight Back knockout call of the week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches
1: with the best of Fight Back with Bob comsick Fight Back with Libby's Nimer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. Here are some of this week's best calls. Joseph is a vice principal and weighed in on school vaccines.
4: I'm also a senior grandfather and uh, in my early 70s and still working. On, uh, lucky for me. But, you know, I... I the last two years, we've been dealing with COVID in the schools and virtual. And, you know, we've done everything that's mandated, including the self-testing. But if you remember back when COVID first started and the vaccine first started, the teachers were all crying foul because they weren't first in line to to be uh, vaccinated. Now they're crying foul because some of them don't want to be vaccinated. I think if they want the job, they should get vaccinated to protect the kids.
1: Murray and Malton wanted to talk about vaccine passports.
4: If your child comes home with a virus,
2: you should be uh, forced to stay home for the two weeks, too, because although you are not going to get sick, you still get the virus and you pass it on. Justin Trudeau should be doing something with passport. And I think he should be putting a bare minimum down as to what requirements are. And then Alberta wouldn't be oh, treating this thing like a flute. They, they don't think it's a big deal anymore. It's just like getting the flu, so...
1: Vaccine transparency generated a lot of calls, like Vera from Woodbridge.
9: I agree that the nurses should be vaccinated. As a matter of fact, I think the government should have vaccinated them first before anyone else. Well, they did. Because I know... Well, <laughs> they did. Yes, but not all of them. It should be mandatory. Right. Because I know my mother was in a long-term care home and they had a couple of cases which scared the living daylights out of us. But if you're coming into my home... To to help me, I you I have the right to say no, yes, but I won't get any help, which is really ridiculous. Who is liable if somebody gets sick in my household after I'm taking so many precautions and I've been double vaccinated? I'm proud of it, and I and if they're going to give me the booster, I'll be first in line. You know, I'm trying to help, but if the government doesn't want to help us, who's going to be liable for these people that are going to die if they don't get these people coming to the house vaccinated?
1: Ceda in Mississauga agrees there should be transparency
9: since the
7: government is not going to involve in making vaccine mandatory, and and non-vaxxers have rights. What happened to the vaxxers? Where is our rights? We should have rights to choose whom and no information about people who are vaccinated that we want around us. Look at school, for example, they are doing so much. To reopen school. The non-vaxxers, why don't they stay home and stay online? And only people who are vaccinated should do in class.
1: Julia in Mississauga also wants transparency.
9: What would happen if we all chose not to be vaccinated? Where would we be? We would be in dead. lockdown forever. Right? <laughs> and we might be dead. <laughs> that's right. I mean, I because mean, that's what happened. As soon as the numbers went up, boom, lockdown. As soon as we come out of it, as soon as the numbers go up, boom, lockdown. Like how many lockdowns did we go through? Now we're into perhaps maybe a fourth one because the numbers are starting to slowly rise. So because I have no rights to uh, know that whoever's treating me is vaccinated or not, then I say then, okay, everybody, let's not get vaccinated. And then what's the government going to do?
1: Christine in Ancaster explained her issues with virtual health care.
9: I think some of the aspects of virtual are good. However, there are times when you do need to see your primary care doctor and the opportunity just isn't there. They just
3: almost uh, flat out refuse to see you. And uh, you don't think that you can solve your problems with virtual care?
9: Not always. Not if you have um, an issue or, with, you know, that you, I think you lose a lot when you don't see the person physically. Yeah. Well, you just explain. You just explain your issue, but they don't see you physically, like, for example, I don't know, an ear infection, a blood clot, uh, those types of things. Like if a person doesn't see you and you just say your leg's sore, well, that can get misconstrued as a pulled muscle.
0: And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week.
1: There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Rachel in Brampton on school vaccines.
9: I am livid. I'm really livid because. I have my, I kept my son for a year uh, online and then I finally fully have him vaccinated fully, ready to go to school and they're not mandating the vaccine. What are they thinking? I mean, he's a special needs child and work closely with the teacher, teaching assistant. He can get a teacher or a PA not vaccinated. It's ridiculous. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, my blood is boiling.
1: That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us between noon and one weekdays, or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca, follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby, and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416 367 9636. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the Best of Fight Back.
0: The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Paddy, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.